Good morning. What's in a name? Identification. Belonging. In 2008, Heath Campbell ordered a cake for his three-year-old son's birthday. On the cake, he wanted happy birthday with his son's name to follow. The only problem for the bakery, Campbell had named his son Adolf Hitler. Now, if you just look at the name Adolf, it is reasonable to think it a good name for a boy. After all, Adolf means noble wolf. Not a bad name. However, being a Nazi sympathizer like Campbell and naming your kid not just Adolf, but Adolf Hitler, you might be asking for trouble. Though the name itself, Adolf, is benign in its meaning, the name identifies with evil because one man, bearing that name, ordered millions of people to be murdered. He was an evil king. And no good can come from identifying with evil. History is replete with evil kings. Individuals who leave life with their names depicting tragedy, horror, death. Unfortunately, many others enjoy reveling in the sin of those before them and follow suit. The nation of Israel is no different. Though they have seen God's greatness, though they have enjoyed His blessing, though He has heard their cries and rescued them, though He brought them to a place filled with everything that they needed for life, Israel still wrestled with trusting Yahweh and adhering to His Word. They did not cling to His name. In fact, so strong was their internal battle in this wrestle that they one day asked for a king to lead them instead of the Lord. 1 Samuel 8, 4-9 says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Let us be like everybody else. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Their unwillingness to submit to Yahweh as king led them to go after men to lead them. You know, there seems to be a similar storyline playing out in our own nation and in the world today. People neglecting truth for man's thoughts and man's ways. Something's never changed. So Israel got a king. Saul was anointed the first king of Israel. David became the next, and he was followed by his son Solomon. 
as you read through the Old Testament, the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles describe the life of Israel underneath these kings and their reign. The Expositor's Bible Commentary summarizes First and Second Kings, explaining that in those books you will see some of the events of Israel's history from the latter days of King David till the capture of Jerusalem. It goes on, it says, The involved period moves from the politically powerful and luxurious days at the close of the United Kingdom under Solomon to the division of the kingdom under Rehoboam, and then traces the fortunes of the northern and southern kingdom to their demise in 722 B.C. and 586 B.C. respectively. As you read through the book of Kings, you will see the moral decay of a nation, a divided nation, you will see each of these kings named. And following their names, you will see a statement regarding their obedience to Yahweh. The statement will say, and he did right in the sight of the Lord. Or it will say, and he did what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Most of the kings of Israel and Judah, this divided nation, though they were warned by the prophets to submit to the will of Yahweh, they refused to obey. And by their name it says, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, this highlights Israel's regular failure to not hold any other gods before them but Yahweh. If you come to the two books of Chronicles, you will find more details about the work of God in the life of Israel. Once again, I like the summary from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. It says, God used the history of the ancient kingdom of Israel to reveal truth about himself and the relationship to men. Kings, composed after the final collapse of the kingdom in 586 B.C., concentrates on how sin leads to defeat, seen in 2 Kings 17, 15, and 18. Then Chronicles, coming after the two returns from exile in 537 and 458 B.C., recounts from the same record how faith is the victory. 2 Chronicles 20, 20, and 22. Readers today may therefore find strength from God knowing that his moral judgments, kings, are balanced by his providential salvation revealed in Chronicles. There is still hope for Israel. Yahweh is still operating as a faithful, gracious, merciful, and powerful God. He never changes. As I was reading through this history of God's people, as I'm trying to get through the, the Bible in this 90 days, another name has stuck out to me. And in 2 Kings 22-23 and in 2 Chronicles 34-35, we see the last king of Judah who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. King Josiah. His name, meaning healed by Jehovah, or Jehovah will support, was the last king of Judah who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Josiah was the great-grandson of King Hezekiah, another king who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And the beginning of chapter 34 of Second Chronicles begins the story of King Josiah's life in the, in the throne. It says this, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. 
and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. How is that for a summary of one's life? To be named among one such as King David, a man after God's heart. Josiah was an example of one who walked straight. And for the next few moments, I want to take a, some time to look at how Josiah walked straight. In verse 3, chapter 34, Chronicles. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. If you can do that math, Josiah was 16 years old when he began to seek God. 16. What would it look like in our nation, our world right now, if we including our young people, sought the Lord with as much effort as we seek Pokemon. Or anything else for that matter. What would life look like if we would seek the Lord like King Josiah did? King Josiah sought the Lord. Another example in history, another example in the scriptures that you do not have to wait to be older, to seek the Lord. Today's the day. Seek Him now. King Josiah is that example. The story continues. It says, In the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of all the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. They tore down the altars of Baals in his presence, and the incense altars that were high above them he chopped down. Also, the, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten image, he broke into pieces and ground into powder and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on the altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as Naphtali, in their surrounding ruins, he also tore down the altars and beat the ashram and carved the images into powder and chopped down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. At 16, he sought the Lord. At 20, he began to make reforms in his nation. His seeking the Lord, as David did, led him to purge the land of the idols. In his book, A History of Israel, Walter Kaiser states this, And at the age of 20, he began to cleanse the land of Judah and its capital of Jerusalem of all the idolatrous objects that his immediate predecessors had introduced. Not only did he pursue this activity in Judah, but he also carried his campaign for cleansing and removal of false deities into northern Israel as well. So this young king, seeking the Lord, and he goes after tearing down the evil legacy of the kings who were before him. He doesn't wait around for somebody else to do the job. He goes after the idols and tears them down, and not only in his direct kingdom, but in the northern kingdom 
because of his love for God. He lives boldly and he cleans house. In verse 8, now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan the son of Azaliah and Messiah, an official of the city, and Joah the son of Jehaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. They came to Hilkiah the priest and delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, and from all Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. All the work that King Hezekiah had done to restore the temple years before had been undone by Manasseh and Ammon, Josiah's two predecessors. And as Josiah was following the Lord, he found it that he needed to repair the temple, and he set off to that work as well. During the process of the temple restoration, verse 14, when they were bringing out the money which had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. They found the book of the law. Hilkiah gave the book to the scribe Shaphan who brought it before the king. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king saying, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book and Shaphan read read from it in the presence of God and the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He was so struck by the words that he ripped apart his robe. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book which has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord which is poured out on us because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Hearing the words of the law, Josiah ripped his robe and sent men to find out the fate of Israel according to this word. The men arrived to see Hulda, the prophetess, and she confirmed the wrath of God would come on Israel for their disobedience. Yet, since Josiah humbled himself before the Lord at the reading of the law, he would be spared from seeing the calamity. The men then returned with the news before the king. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, and all the people, from the greatest to the least, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after him and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. Moreover, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the abominations from all the lands belonging to the sons of Israel and made all who were present in Israel to serve the Lord their God. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. 
Josiah led the people to true worship. In the notes of the MacArthur Study Bible, the commentary states this. This noble king had a lifelong influence by the power of his godly life and firm devotion to God and his word. The strength of his character held the nation together serving the Lord. It started because as a young man, he began to seek God. True worship. A true worshiper seeks God. A true worshiper is humble at the hearing of the word of God. A true worshiper tears down the idols in his or her life. A true worshiper leads others to worship the Lord and serve Him. A true worshiper remembers the work of God and surrenders to His will. So the question is, how are you doing as a worshiper? Are you spending more time seeking God or chasing after retirement? likes on social media, or digital monsters? Are you listening to the Word of God humbly, or are you right now nudging the person next to you so that they will listen? What are your idols in your life needing to be torn down? Mine is me. My desires. Where are you serving and who are you leading to worship Yahweh? Are you in the game like Josiah was, going after the people and leading them? Or are you sitting on the sideline and waiting for somebody else to do the work? How often during your day do you remember God's goodness and praise Him for His grace, for the blood that washes you clean. If you're honest, how often do you actually just sit and complain about the state of our nation's political landscape instead of sharing God's grace and love with your neighbors? How are you doing as a worshiper? Josiah sought God and he tore down the idols and he led his people to serve Yahweh and for his reign became a healer to the nation. The last great thing that we have recorded about King Josiah was that he led his people in the Passover. Yahweh had instituted this ceremony back in the days of the Exodus in order that the people of Israel might remember that God had rescued them from Pharaoh's hand. So that they would remember that God saved the firstborn of Israel while killing the firstborn of Egypt for Pharaoh's sin. Josiah led his people to the Passover. A ceremony that hadn't been done regularly in many, many years. 
Josiah was so dedicated to proper worship that he adhered strictly to the laws about the Passover. In fact, the text says this. It says in 2 Chronicles 35, 18, there had not been celebrated a Passover like it in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet, nor had any of the kings of Israel celebrated such a Passover as Josiah did with the priests, the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Josiah, a king who lived up to his name. And though the consequences of Israel's sin for not following the Mosaic Covenant could not be voided, the Lord blessed Josiah for his humility and the Lord blessed the people around him all the days of his reign. I want to be a man like Josiah who walks straight. One who remembers and surrenders to Yahweh. Who tears down idols and helps people see the one true God. How about you? The prophet Jeremiah was a prophet in the time of King Josiah. And as Josiah has been wrestling with adhering to Yahweh's covenant, Jeremiah is prophesying, prophesying about a new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. A new covenant is coming. Yahweh did make that new covenant. He sent Jesus to fulfill that, to offer a way to write his law on the hearts of men. Hebrews 9.15 says, For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal, eternal inheritance. inheritance. Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. One day this Jesus, he was teaching. He had a big crowd following him. In fact, he had just fed thousands of people and then walked on some water. Then he began starting to talk about him being the bread of life and the fact that if you believe in him, that you will never thirst again. Well, this was too radical of a statement for many in his presence. So many quit chasing him around. And at the moment, Jesus looked at his 12 disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One 
of God. Josiah, reading the word, trembled at the power of Yahweh. Simon Peter, standing before the Messiah, where else shall we go? Jesus is the word in the flesh, and Peter is looking up and saying, you're the one that has the eternal life, where are we going to go? currently reading a book called God's Bestseller. It's the story of William Tyndale, who's the man responsible for helping you and I to have this book of life in our own language. He worked diligently to study and to translate, to write, so that the common man would understand the words of life. Tyndale lives his life honoring the name of Christ and boldly fought to ensure more people could see the richness of God's word. And he died going after that. In God's bestseller, there's a quote from Tyndale that depicts his passion for the word of God, which I believe mimics Josiah's heart when he heard the word of God. Mimics Peter's words, where else are we going to go? Depicts the richness of what it should mean when we hear God's word and jump into action in obedience. Now, I don't do voices. (laughs) But I want us to hear it a little closer to reality. So we're going to listen to Pastor Matt from Manchester, England, as he reads... Tyndale's words and his thoughts on the scriptures. Give diligence, reader, I exhort thee, that thou come with a pure mind, and as the scripture saith, with a single eye, unto the words of health and of eternal life, by the which, if we repent and believe them, we are born anew, created afresh, and enjoy the fruits of the blood of Christ. That blood crieth not for vengeance as the blood of Abel. Instead, it hath purchased life, love, favor, grace, blessing, and whatsoever is promised in the scripture to them that believe and obey God. It was Christ's blood that standeth between us and wrath, vengeance, curse. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. He loves you so much that he stood between you and wrath. He stood between you and vengeance and curse. My hope today is that like Josiah, like Peter, like Tyndale, that we remember and surrender to the Holy One of God as we look at his word and find out who he is the lover of our souls, that we would surrender to him and live life helping others heal. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these men. 
Thank you for King Josiah, who as a young, young man, he began to go after you. Father in heaven, I ask that you would help us go after you that way. Reveal to us what that looks like in our daily lives, what it means to tear down the idols that are there, what it means to serve you and your people and the communities that you have placed us in so that we can see your healing of lives and souls, souls that you love. Father, in the next few moments, I ask that you would help us to enjoy worshiping you for your goodness, for the blood that you gave. That we would praise you, that we would confess if needed. God, that we would walk in a way worthy of your name and the new names that you gave us, more than conquerors, children of God, that we would walk in those names as redeemed people. Thank you for your word. Help us to, to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.